Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Sachi Argerbright, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 65, where we're talking about books for Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Woo! I'm so excited (laughs) about this month! (laughs) Yes, and we have a special guest. Uh, Fran, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm so excited to be here, Kendra and Sachi. Thank you for inviting me to be the guest. So hey, everyone, my name is Fran, and I'm a commercial real estate in Washington, D.C., and I immigrated from the Philippines to the U.S. when I was nine. So given that, being an immigrant is a big part of my identity, which shapes my worldview, as well as my reading preferences. I love to read, and I document my reading journey through my Instagram. My handle is A Quiet Nook, where I focus on immigrant narratives, writers of color, and own voice writing. And I'm really excited to be here today. We're so excited to have you. Well, I'm really excited to talk to both of you today, um, and it will. I think it'll all come together today as we talk about our books and announce our two discussion books today. But before that, we do have some news. Um, all right, so we've been talking about the Stella Prize, which for all of you who don't know is Australia's prize for uh, women writers, and it includes both nonfiction and fiction in the same prize, which is pretty cool. Um, and they announced the winner, The Erratics, by Vicki Laveau-Harvey. And uh, this is pretty cool. I think that she won. Uh, this is her debut novel. And I believe she's in her late 60s, early 70s. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I think that's always so cool because it's never too late. You can always, <laughs> you know, it's like Annie Prue writing Barkskins in her 80s. Like, right. you know. And so I thought this was pretty cool. It is bringing up, though, the point that you can't get the erratics Uh, many places outside of Australia. I was about to say, um, for some of the the books, I think Jacqueline has been talking um, about kind of cycling through and getting through all the nominations. And when I saw that this one won, I was like, oh, let me go and check it out. And I was like, I don't think I can get it outside of Australia. So um, hopefully now that it's, it's won, they'll start publishing it in other countries like the U.S., I hope so. It's been a big issue trying to get books from Australia in other countries. And I know part of it is the rights that, you know, the Australian publishers own versus, you know, other countries buying the rights and a lot of different complicated things. However, it's, you know, if you can't get the book anywhere else, then it's an issue. Like you want to share that with an international audience. You don't want to just like hoard it. Right, right. (laughs) Um, So Jacqueline has been working on that. And if you subscribe to the newsletter, guys, you will hear more about it because she's been doing updates about the Stella Prize in the Reading Women newsletter. So or you can check out her uh, booktube channel, Six Minutes for Me, and I'll link that down in the show notes so you guys can get more info. The last the last big news that I wanted to talk about today is the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Oh, yeah. I was like, I keep waiting. Are we ever going to have to change the stats on reading women's homepage? I know. I was just about to say the stats. Um, So if you hadn't guessed already, a woman did not win this year. Um, The Overstory by Richard Powers won. And then the finalists were The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay and There There by Tommy Orange. 
So is it bad that I've never heard of the overstory? When I saw this in the in the document, I was like, I don't even think I've heard about this book. I've heard about the great believers and obviously they're there. Um, both those books got, I think, a lot of buzz last year. But I don't know if I was just missing something by not hearing about this book, but I was kind of disappointed. I was like, oh, I don't know that one. <laughs> Sachi, I'm glad you admitted it because I didn't know what that was either, but I didn't want to right. admit it. <laughs> But now that you already have, I'm in the same category where I've heard of the finalists and felt like there was a lot of buzz around the finalists, but the actual winner, I had never heard of it till it won. It was at least long listed. I believe it was shortlisted for the man Booker last year. Um, And so it had a lot of buzz around that, but it is one of the only books by a white dude that I bought last year um, because it's about trees. The protagonist of the books are trees. Oh, so... Like, not people, trees. Yeah, trees. Like, <laughs> so it's been very, like, a Marmite book. Like, either people really love it and think it's brilliant or they hate it because they're like, seriously, trees? <laughs> Wait, Kendra, so you've read this. I have not read it. It is, I, okay. you know, trying to squeeze some books that I can't talk about on the podcast is always I know. <laughs> hard. Oh. Limited. But I have, I do, it is one of the few that I bought. So I feel like, you know, if you're one of the dudes that I bought, last year it's like oh you get the Kendra award like or something because yeah. <laughs> I think I bought two and the other one was there there by Tommy Ward <laughs> there you go um but yeah I am honestly I'm very disappointed that a woman hasn't won since the goldfinch by Donna Tartt in, right. in 2013 and that was about dudes oh hey, you're right it's also very white like all of the winners have been very you know predominantly male and white. And so it just frustrates me because the Pulitzer Prize, you know, has such power to just shine a spotlight on great American literature. Well, you know, why didn't your pool? (laughs) Well, like, even I know we joked, but like even the protagonist of this year's winner, it's not even women. It's like, we're going to take trees over women. (laughs) (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, The Great Believers is mainly about Chicago's um, you know, gay scene at the time mm-hmm. during the AIDS epidemic. And while there's, you know, there is also a female protagonist, it's like a multi-perspective kind of thing. Um, it mainly focuses on on that. And I, I just, I think when you look at the stats, that often even when a woman does win, it's usually she's writing about a dude or a group of dudes or whatever. Oh, that's, that's sad. <laughs> it is. One day we'll get there. I know, someday. (laughs) And you guys will be able to talk about it on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the National Book Award's doing fairly well. It is really diverse, and Jasmine Ward is Mm. just cleaning up. So that does give me hope. All right. So, well, that's the news that we have for today. You guys can always find more news in the newsletter. We will have a link in our show notes where you can go subscribe to that. But now it's time to talk about our theme for this month. So when Kendra and Autumn asked me to be a contributor on The Reading Women and we were talking about um, brainstorming themes for 2019, one of the first questions I asked was, has anyone taken May? Because I would really like to highlight Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month in May. And luckily it was available. So um, I'm really excited to be highlighting this theme uh, for us today. And as a biracial individual who is half Japanese, I think it's really important to have Asian Pacific Islander representation in literature, especially since 
you know, for me, myself, at least my experience, I didn't have a lot of that um, representation uh, when I was growing up. And so seeing a lot of these titles as an adult is very exciting for me and just really kind of affirms that I am not alone in some of these experiences, especially since I live in a predominantly white area. And so having an opportunity to highlight um, books by Asians and Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders is really exciting. And I'm really, really excited to talk about it today with you all. If you're looking for um, some great recommendations, we will have a lot of great books that we're talking about today. So Sachi, I was really happy that you asked me to be on this particular episode for this podcast because, you know, when I moved here from the Philippines, I just assumed since it was, you know, we are, I'm in America now that I wouldn't have access to these kinds of books. And I was right. I did not really read a lot of Asian American or just Asian books, Pacific Islander books growing up. And I assumed it was because there wasn't a need for it. There wasn't a demand for it. But now that I'm an adult looking back, that's not the right way to think about it. It is in demand. It's something that people want to see. And sometimes they just don't know where to look. And so I'm happy resources like this, this podcast exists where we can you know, try to help point people into the direction and initiatives exist to try to bring Asian authored books to the forefront. Yes, absolutely. Just talking about uh, celebrating Asian and Pacific Islander stories, Fran and I, as well as uh, four other bookstagrammers are hosting this awesome celebration in May. It's going to be like a photo challenge where you can post Every weekend in May, we're going to have a different theme. So this episode is airing on May 1st. So people can get excited and get ready for the first Woo! the first weekend, <laughs> the first prompt. And so on the first weekend of May, we'll be talking about your top Asian authored books. You can do your top five. You can do your top 10. You can have just a, a book stack of your favorite Asian authored books. When I just kick it off by getting excited about some awesome titles for you guys. And then the second weekend will be um, Rep Your Asian Heritage. So in my case, it can talk about being Japanese. In Fran's case, you can talk about being uh, Filipina and uh, really rep the books that you know reflect your experience. Third weekend is Pairs Well with Food. So the example we've been giving is if you have a post about pachinko, you can feature some Korean food, like Korean barbecue or something. And the last book, or last weekend in May, we'll be highlighting the unread Asian shelf or TBR. Say, okay, you know, the month of May is almost over, but what are the books that you're going to pick up in the last uh, couple of days and going into the rest of the year by Asian um, authors that you're really excited for? So hopefully it'll be a great call to action to get people to, to continue reading uh, about Asian and Pacific Islander stories. So that's a little bit more about what we are, are putting together. We're going to be posting a lot about it on our Instagram. So obviously there'll be links to our handles in the show notes, but we'll be using the hashtag API celebration. Um, so instead of celebration, we have celebration <laughs> as a fun little pun. Um, but if, I like it. I know. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to <laughs> post about these themes yourself, you can use the hashtag or you can search the hashtag to find some awesome recommendations from all kinds of uh, bookstagrammers on the, on the Instagram. So hopefully everyone will be excited and participate. 
Well, before we before we exit, I just wanted to, this initiative is really for everyone. And so we really want to get the Bookstagram community excited about Asian authored books. You do not have to be Asian to join in. And in fact, you know, the more the merrier, we want to see all the book stacks. We want to see what everybody is reading. Everyone is welcome to join in and we're looking forward to seeing all of your Asian authored book stacks. And I will make sure to put that info in the show notes. Uh, So you guys can go check that out really easily. And of course, you can always find that over on Sachi's Instagram at Sachi Reads. So I'm really excited. I can't wait to see what people come up with. Yeah, me too. So now it's time to get into our book picks this month. And Sachi, I think you have the first one. Yes. So my first pick for today is Somewhere Only We Know by Maureen Gu, and this is out by FSG. And I just want to put a quick note out there that this is an upcoming title. This episode is airing on May 1st, and this will be coming out on May 7th. So it'll be coming out on Tuesday. You won't have to wait too long for it, but it is an upcoming title. And I really wanted to start with a YA pick for this month's theme, because um, like I said in our February episode, I think it's so important to have diverse representation in light and fun reads as well. While it's extremely important to highlight um, some of the heavier topic, even, you know, sometimes like the struggle potentially of people of color, it's important that we show um, that people of color are ordinary people too. And we experience things like romance and in this case, you know, traveling to a new city. And it's not always about the heavy things. I feel like sometimes in publishing, it's like, you got to sell this, this huge important book. And sometimes the, the fun pieces kind of get lost. And I think YA is doing a really great job of having that diverse representation in lighter and fun uh, books. So in the past year, I've made an effort to read more Asian YA over the last year. While there's so many you know, amazing authors like Jenny Han and Mary H.K. Choi, I think Maureen Gu might be my favorite YA author. And she has three titles. So the, her first uh, YA novel was I Believe in a Thing Called Love. Second one is The Way You Make Me Feel, um, which is also excellent. So if um, you want to read, pick up a backlist title first, you can definitely pick up The Way You Make Me Feel. I co-sign on that as well. <laughs> but uh, this new novel, Somewhere Only We Know, is an awesome book that takes place in Hong Kong, um, but follows two Koreans that have spent their time living both in Korea and the U.S., these two characters, the first one is Lucky. She's an extremely famous K-pop idol. <laughs> so it's a little bit different kind of protagonist. Um, but she always follows the rules and, you know, what her studio tells her to do. But uh, one night she sneaks out of her hotel room for one night of freedom. I think she's desperately looking for a hamburger because <laughs> she's, she's on a strict <laughs> diet. And she's like, I need a burger right now <laughs> um, after she, she performs a long set. So as she on this um, this quest for uh, some junk food. She runs into Jack and he is a freelance uh, paparazzo. And um, after the night goes on, he realizes that he's with Lucky, this extremely famous K-pop idol. And he thinks, okay, I'm going to get this exclusive scoop on her kind of sneaking out of her hotel. And together they spend mo- mainly one day. It's like Saturday, but the story is told over the course of the weekend. And they're together in Hong Kong and Lucky kind of rediscovers herself and why she went into music in the first place. And Jack 
eventually has to make a very tough decision on where his loyalties lie. So I really enjoyed this book. It's very fun. I'm a little biased because I love (laughs) K-pop, but I think it has something to offer for everyone. It's, you know, you you learn so much about Hong Kong. It's almost like a tourism promotion for Hong Kong. And I felt like Lucky and Jack were such awesome characters with great chemistry. And the book, you know, also tackles subjects like self-doubt and anxiety and feeling lost between cultures, which I really identify with. But the author does a really great job of balancing both the light content and the serious conversations they have. So overall, I love this book. If you're looking to get into books by Asian authors in the YA space, um, I think Moring Goo would be a great place to start. So that's my first pick for today, um, Somewhere Only We Know by Maureen Goo, and that's out by FSG. So I think, Fran, um, you are next. What's your first pick for today? All right. So my first pick is Jean Kwok's debut novel, Girl in Translation. So this book was published in 2010. So it is a backlist title. But I kind of think of this book as like an oldie, but it's not even really an oldie, but an oldie, but a goodie. And since reading it, I still think about this book often. So for me, this book has truly stood the test of time where I remember what happened and I remember kind of how I feel while I was reading it. And so Girl in Translation documents the journey of Kimberly Chang and her mother, who emigrate from home, from Hong Kong to Brooklyn. And in Brooklyn, her and her mother live in squalor. They live in a broken down apartment and her and her mom work in a sweatshop where they are paid by the piece, which is illegal. However, Kimberly is really, really smart. And in the book, she begins to rise above her peers academically and gets a scholarship to a private high school. And so begins her life as an exceptional student during the day and then a sweatshop worker at night. So in her life, she must not only translate her language, um, but also herself as she moves between the different groups of people in her life. So hence the title, Girl in Translation. And so I guess a little bit of why I liked it. This book is as own voice as it gets. The book is semi-autobiographical as Kwok herself has moved from Hong Kong to the U.S. And because of this, as I was reading it, I felt like she really nailed what it was like to be an immigrant child as she herself was one. And so For me, as someone who moved to the U.S. around the same age as Kimberly, Kimberly the protagonist, I felt like the book captured a lot of the same sentiments that I felt. Um, Being an immigrant child who migrates with her parents, sometimes you have to be the mouthpiece of your parents. In the book, Kimberly sometimes has to speak and stand up for her mom. Another thing that was prevalent was moving between your school life and your home life which a lot of people, anyone who moves between cultures, especially immigrants, can probably relate to. Another thing I liked about this book is that it shows Asian hardship. I think Asians have a reputation in the U.S. for being educated and affluent, and our presence in college campuses and in institutions of higher learning is very seen. 
But sometimes I, I get the sense that Asians are excluded from conversations like economic hardship and poverty. But this book shows that Asian immigrants struggle too. And that's something that I really appreciated that Kwok brought to the forefront. I like this book because to me, it's almost like my immigrant anthem. It's motivational and it's inspiring. And it shows that although honoring your roots is important, the life handed down to you does not define you. And so I think I would recommend this basically to anyone, not just because I liked it, but because I think it has a likable protagonist. It's, it has a protagonist that's easy to get behind. It's a coming-of-age novel that features a strong female lead. Um, particularly those who like immigrant narratives, um, maybe if you're an immigrant yourself who has moved to the U.S. or any country as a child, the experience in the book is very relatable. And really for anyone, if you want to unveil a part of the world, especially a part of the U.S. that is otherwise hidden, pick up this book because this book shows that not all those that live in America experience America in the same way. And so that wraps up my first pick, Girl in Translation by Jean Kwok. All right. What about you, Kendra? What's up for your first pick? So I really loved In the Country by Mia Alvar. And I realized I hadn't read a lot of Filipino literature, uh, fiction in particular. Uh, and so I picked up Insurrecto by Gina Apostol. And this is out from an indie press here in the U.S. called Soho Press. And this is about two women. It's about a white filmmaker who comes over from America wanting to make this really epic, like, war movie set in the Philippines. And so you have this translator who is working with Kiara somewhat reluctantly uh, to translate different things for Kiara and, you know, taking her around uh, the, the country of the Philippines and going out in the bush and doing all of these different things. And there's a lot of really complicated uh, narrative structures for this book. Um, and there's this line uh, I read that said, parallel chapters happening in a universal void. And this is definitely what we could call capital L literature in that that is what Gina Apostle is going for. She's really writing at a high level of difficulty. And so the structure of the book are these two stories, the story of Kiara's parents and how the first original movie that Kiara's dad, who's also a filmmaker, was working on. And then also you have um, Magdalene and Kiara's story and it's numbered. So you start like with chapter two with one and then you start with like chapter 20, I think, with the storyline in the past. So it's pretty uh, you have to pay a lot of attention, we'll just say, but it's so complex, and I was very impressed with the way that Gina Apostle wrote this novel, and this is her debut novel. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's definitely one I would recommend reading in print, because the one I just found it very hard to follow along, because there's, you know, the play on the page of her using that structure uh, in, and being... Um, almost playful in her prose and the way that she's telling the story. But also the audiobook I was not so because the narrator was not an own voices narrator, she's very talented, but she really didn't get the accents right in there. Uh, she didn't get any of the, you know, native language right. And I feel like it would just be better overall read in print. Um, but it really is a very fascinating book. And 
I really am looking forward to what Gina Apostle writes next. Kendra, I'm so glad you picked this. This was on my TBR, and this created quite a buzz in the Filipino community, especially when it came out. And so I think after your recommendation, I'm going to have to bump this up. Yeah, and I look forward to you reading it and getting your perspective on it because this is such a an own voices story. Like this is a Filipino story and in all of its glory and celebrating the culture. And I feel like there aren't a lot of own voices reviews on this book that I've seen. Um, we definitely need more of those. I think a part of that is because as you touched on, it's capital L literary but I'm definitely going to read it and I will let you know what I think. I'm very excited. And maybe I can convince you to write a review of it for the newsletter. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. And I won't audiobook it. I will read it in yes. print. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Insurrecto by Gina Apostle. And that is out from Soho Press. And we'll be back with more books for Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month after a word from our sponsor. So the sponsor of this week's episode of Reading Woman is us. Yes, we are so thankful for our patrons. Many of you have been with us from the very beginning supporting this podcast. And not only has it helped make this podcast possible, but also we have loved getting to know so many of you, our biggest fans who support this podcast. Yeah, and that's one of the great things about having a Patreon is that we can develop closer relationships with you all and you can, we can have discussions about different things about the podcast. Often we will put polls up on our Patreon page and then our patrons will give us feedback on things they like, things they didn't like, things they'd like to see in the future. And one of those things is we have a Patreon book club. Yes, so we have a quarterly book club where the patrons get to vote on what book they would like to read and discuss and then we have a live hangout a google hangout right now where we all get together and talk about it and it's a lot of fun and we're always looking to add new things for our patrons so for example recently we added our patrons to our close friends feature over on instagram so we will put special stories into our little feed there and it is available to our patrons because of this cool new feature that instagram has put up so uh, today, I was showing them like how I edit the podcast and what that looks like. We'll probably end up sharing, I don't know, just a little behind the scenes things of like what we're reading or what we're doing. So be sure to check that out. And there are different levels that accommodate all kinds of budgets and needs. So ranging from $1 all the way up to $50. So be sure to go and check that out. And as a patron, not only are you helping spread the word about women writers, but you're also helping us keep the lights on as it were with this podcast. And we greatly appreciate all of your support. And as we mentioned earlier, we would not be able to do this without you all. So if you would like to become a patron of Reading Women, go to patreon.com slash readingwomen and you'll be able to find us there. Or you can check out the link, which will be in the show notes. And Sachi, I think you have the next pick. 
I do. So my next pick is The Mango Bride Woo! by Marie. <laughs> I'm really excited about this one. Yes. Fran <laughs> recommended this one to me. Uh, so um, this is by Marie V. Sullivan, and this is out by Berkeley Publishing Group. And before I start talking about this um, book, I want to give some trigger warnings for gun violence and domestic violence and uh, a forced abortion um, that takes place during the book. But if you can get through um, some of the heavier material, this beautiful book starts on an estate in the Philippines where um, the house cook has just stabbed the matron of the house. And that's not a spoiler. It happens in the first sentence. So if that intrigues you, you might want to pick up this book. Um, But from there, the story goes back in time to the events leading up to the stabbing and uh, the two Filipina women that are at the center of these two worlds. So this book is uh, one of our uh, discussion picks for our next episode. So I won't go into too many details, but um, like Fran was kind of excited about, she was the one who recommended this backlist title to me. And I knew after I read it that we had to talk about it for this month's theme. Um, And I've read a couple books set in the Philippines, like Monsoon Mansion is the big one, uh, which I've discussed on the podcast before. But this book was kind of the first one that I've read where I really truly felt like I was in Manila and the city itself just feels like another character in the book. And I just loved how much it was highlighted in the story. And I've never been to the Philippines, but I truly felt like I was there. And the two main characters in this, in this book, um, Amparo and uh, Beverly, um, I just love them both so much. Um, The book is told from their alternating perspectives. It's a, it's a dual narrative. And you know, you find out throughout the book that they're loosely um, uh, have these interwoven connections with each other. Um, but both characters are just so compelling. And I felt, you know, extremely invested in the two of them by the end of the story. And we'll have a lot more to discuss um, about this title in our next episode. Um, so I don't want to give too much away, but that's The Mango Bride by Marie V. Sullivan. And that's out by Berkeley Publishing Group. And Fran, I think you have the the next pick. What's your second pick for um, Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Thanks, Sachi. So my next pick is I Was There American Dream by Malaka Garib. This actually just came out yesterday, so I'm super excited for this book. This book is a little bit different in that it's a graphic memoir about Malaka's upbringing as a child of immigrants, specifically a Filipina mother and an Egyptian father. So Malaka grew up in the U.S. with her Filipina mother, and so because of that, she was surrounded by Filipinos growing up. But she spent summers in Egypt with her dad. So not only does she have to move between an immigrant culture and an American culture, she has to also move between her parents' two cultures, and her parents come from two drastically different cultures. And so what I love about this book is that Malaka does a great job illuminating her struggle as a biracial and bicultural child of immigrants in a way that is insightful, but very funny. And when I say funny, that's almost an understatement because this book is hilarious. So I'm new to graphic novels, and as a personal preference, I tend to enjoy graphic novels more if the content is humorous. 
as these mirror more of the, let's say, comic strip style that I'm more familiar with that pack a punch of humor, which is exactly what this book does. I think it's really great when we can look back at our own experience and laugh about it, which the author does a great job of doing. There are many moments when you move between cultures, especially when the cultures are so different that just lend themselves to making mistakes and then laughing about it after, which is evident in this book. I was cautiously optimistic going into the book, but was blown away after I read it. For me, this book kind of checked my own perception of identity and stereotypes, which is important as the world becomes increasingly more diverse. And I'm not talking about melting pot diversity. I'm talking about the world we live in is increasingly more diverse and that our children, the next generation, and more and more of us are going to become biracial or mixed heritage. And so I think Malacca really nails what it's like to move between two worlds as she herself is not only biracial, but also bicultural. And I think I would recommend this book to anyone who moves between cultures. So if you are biracial or an immigrant, or even if you have a child that will be of mixed heritage because your spouse is of a different background than you, this book is very helpful. I recommend this also to Filipino and Muslim readers and Egyptian readers, as she incorporates a lot of illustrations that resonate well with your experience. And then, you know, at a high level, if you like graphic novels, like this book is for you. A lot of things in this book is relatable. And again, the content is insightful, but Malaka does such a great job of kind of laughing at herself. And so just reading the book, to me, you know, I saw a lot of things that I liked, but also it was just funny. And I enjoyed kind of stepping in her shoes as a biracial Filipino Egyptian woman growing up. And so yeah, that wraps up my second pick. It's I Was There American Dream by Malaka Garib. Um, and so Kendra, do you want to hit it home with your last pick? Yes. So my next pick, which is our second discussion pick, is The Astonishing Color of After by Emily X.R. Pan, and that's out from Little Brown here in the U.S. It's also available in other countries as well. Um, I, I really struggle with YA contemporary, which I think is I, <laughs> kind of ironic because this is the second month I've picked a YA contemporary as a discussion pick, um, but I was really... Well, one, I was kind of captivated by the cover because I had no clue what it was about, but I saw it floating around Bookstagram and I was like, oh, this mm. is okay. Yes. Just hand it over. Thank you very much. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's such a pretty cover. <laughs> um, and then I started here, you know, seeing reviews of this book and it's about Lee, who is a biracial uh, Taiwanese American girl who uh, has been living with her parents in America and, and her mom... And she's never really visited her mom's family in Taiwan for various reasons that I won't say because that is a spoiler. Um, but in the very beginning of the book, her mom commits suicide. And there are trigger warnings for a lot of discussion of, of depression and suicide for this book. And it is throughout as well. So just be aware of that um, as you're reading. So it immediately like sets this book on this trajectory. And we get to the point where Lee goes to Taiwan to visit her grandparents. There are flashbacks 
of her past. So she's lighting incense and, and uh, you know, connecting with her culture. And then the flashbacks come from the incense. And so I, I found this book really interesting because there's a combination of like cultural, spiritual practices of remembering those who have gone on. And there's also a blend of that with magical realism. And these two things exist side by side. And I found it very interesting the way that uh, Pan did this in the novel. And I, you know, it's over like, what, 400 pages, but I just kept like, I couldn't put it down. It was just so good. Um, so obviously, you know, this is our second discussion pick. And we all have a very lot to say about this book. Um, and very much looking forward to discussing it with you all. Yes, I'm uh, just for the last two picks. I'm just loving all the biracial picks. So <laughs> selfishly, um, I'm super excited to talk about this um, book in our discussion episode. And I think that we have a lot of different perspectives that we offer um, as readers of this book. And I think it'll be really great to um, kind of outline those together um, and how the book made such a deep impression for us, but for different reasons. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that goes to why so many people love this book is because there's so much depth to this title. And for me, a lot of YA titles don't have that depth. A lot of them are just, you know, fun books you read and they're great. But this one for me was, is a bit special because there's just so much going on. And the way that it's handled, the topics are handled is just so uh, beautifully done with like a touch, almost elegance, I think, in the way that she writes about things. And there, I never felt like she was trying to jam something down my throat. It was always naturally part of the story. Um, her writing is beautiful. The storytelling characters, I just love them. So I basically just, just going to sit here yes, and gush about the book. <laughs> <laughs> All of that and more. Yes. I co-sign on this pick. Yes. Um, so we'll talk about that book next time. Um, so definitely pick up a copy if you haven't already of that and the Mango Bride, because um, we'll be talking about those in our next episode. And a reminder, if you didn't know, we always have a discussion going on at, over on Goodreads. And so you can read the book and share your thoughts over there as well and join the conversation. Um, so that was The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan, and that's out from Little Brown. So what are you reading right now, Sachi? So um, currently what I'm reading right now is Do Not Say We Have Nothing by Madeline Tien, and this is out by Norton. And it's a historical fiction book that takes place um, during the revolutionary China. I believe it takes place over three decades, and it follows three musicians during this time of immense change in their country. And like I said, um, I think back in February when we picked the ensemble, I am a sucker for music books because I used to be a musician. Well, not used to be, I guess. I I still sing in my free time, but uh, I was a performing arts um, uh, individual, I guess, in the past. And so with this the or this book following three musicians, I'm really excited to see um, what this book has in store for me. And it's a very long book. So I think that'll be there'll be a lot to, to hopefully take in um, uh, while I'm reading this in the month of May. So good. It's so good. Really? Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. so excited. <laughs> yeah. And you definitely love the music in it. Yes. Yeah, sure. I think I think one of the um, the musicians is a pianist as well. And I did play piano for eight years. So I'm excited to, to hear more about that. So Fran, what are you reading right now? So I'm currently reading The Interpreter of Maladies, which is a collection of short stories, nine short stories by Jhumpa Lahiri. Um, this book was published by HMH. 
And so I feel like I'm kind of late to the game on this one. You mentioned how not a lot of Pulitzer Prize winners are women. And this book is a Pulitzer Prize winner by a woman. (laughs) And so I'm super excited to be reading this, though I do feel like I'm a little bit late to the game. This book, as I mentioned, this book is a collection of nine short stories that really focus on um, families or couples, protagonists that are of South Asian descent. Um, And so excited to dive into this because a lot of people have told me very positive things about this. And I've started to follow the Pulitzer Prize winners more closely ever since I I read... um, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow and really loved it. And so now I'm picking up more and more Pulitzer Prize winners. And not only did this book win the Pulitzer Prize, it's won several other prizes as well. It was chosen as the New Yorker's best debut of the year and Oprah Winfrey's top 10 book list. And so normally I struggle with short stories, um, but I think this one is really promising and I have high hopes for it. Yeah. I still need to read this one too, Fran. Maybe we can read it together. Jungle yeah. <laughs> yeah. is a goddess of all things. Like, I know. Oh. I need I need to read her. I have a bunch of her books, but I still haven't read them. So I'm hoping to read um, more in May to, to highlight some South Asian authors. I, I read and I watched The Namesake. Have <sighs> you guys? Yes. It's, it's one of my favorite books of all time. And I immediately went and like rented the movie and like watched it. I, was like, <laughs> I mean, the book and the movie were so yes. well done. Oh my word. I like... I cried at the movie. Like, the book was, like, harrowing, but the movie was just like, oh, my word. Like, I can't tell you why, because that's a spoiler, but. Right. (laughs) Well, we can tell them who's starring in the movie. It's Cal Penn, right? Um, And he's such a good actor. So I, I just enjoyed everything about that book and the movie, including the casting, that I think, I think a lot of people could enjoy that as well. So, Kendra, what about you? What are you reading this month? So I am prepping for next month's theme, so this will give you a little teaser slash hint of what we might be talking about, Um, but I am reading Appalachian Reckoning, A Region Responds to Hillbilly Elegy, edited by Anthony Harkins and Meredith McCarroll, and this is out from West Virginia University Press, and they are, one, doing a great job publishing a lot of Appalachian literature. Uh, They recently published um, an anthology of LGBTQ stories short stories from the region and so definitely check out that press but this particular book is a bunch of essays with academic and personal essays responding to hillbilly elegy and since there's this movie coming out you know by ron howard that's doing hillbilly elegy it's kind of like we're kind of like girding up the loins preparing (laughs) i know it's like oh kendra's favorite book (laughs) hillbilly elegy (laughs) Uh, we, we're not sarcastic on this podcast. What? <laughs> so, yeah, I really appreciate this book because, one, it looks at people who have the credentials and are, you know, teach Appalachian studies and why they dislike hillbilly But you also have personal response essays. And there's even some who actually connect with hillbilly which I think is very interesting to include, but also important. So, like, you can see a wide range of Appalachian perspectives um, because, I mean, the region is 20, 25 million people, lots of different perspectives, and they include lots of authors of color in this anthology and, you know, men, women, all different ranges of economic statuses as well. Um, so I was very impressed and I just keep highlighting things. I'm running out of tabs. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
So that's it for this episode. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. And many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. To subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. Uh, many thanks to Fran for joining us for this episode. And Fran will be joining us next time for our discussion about The Mango Bride by Marie B. Sullivan and The Astonishing Color of After by Emily X. R. Pan. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Woman. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Sachi Reads. Thanks so much for listening to Reading Women. Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet or hilarious yet tragic, all brought to you by the Podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm So Pandep. Hi, I'm Megan Angelo. This is Tommy Orange. This is Amanda Stern. This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Dandler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This is Storybound. 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 This is the Storybound Podcast. Season two will be arriving on July 14th with new episodes every Tuesday, featuring writers like Stephanie Dandler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hearing a great story is having someone to share it with.